Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tolleson Insights Podcast, conversations designed to help families build on their success and leave a more meaningful legacy. I'm your host today, Adam Tarno, and I am joined by Tolleson's president, Richard Joyner. Richard, how are you doing today? Doing great, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well. It's bright and early on a Monday morning when we are recording this, and I like starting Mondays with podcasts, so it'll be a lot of fun today. Today, we are going to talk about a question that I'm sure you are asked often, and the question is this, do I need to hire a multifamily office? So why don't we start this conversation off with a definition? Why don't you go ahead and define what is a multifamily office? Because that might be a term that is new to some of our listeners. Sure. So uh, if we break it down a little bit, I think probably where I would start is to talk about what a family office is. And in, in most cases, a family office is simply an organization that supports a family's financial, operational, and administrative needs. So it can be as few as one or two people, and it can be up to a size that is very large. So that's, that's what a family office is. If the family office serves just one family, then it's usually referred to as a single family office. The multifamily office is the sort of the next generation there, and it's nothing more than a single family office that is expanded and serving multiple families. And the concept really is is more about shared resources. You're able to share resources that perhaps would be more expensive or more difficult for a single for a single family to maintain or, or, or purchase. How does a multifamily office differ from some other terms that might be out there? Maybe a family wealth team or a virtual family office or even a traditional wealth manager? Yeah. It, it, in, in our business, it's funny. People seem to adopt whatever term is the most popular term of the day. So you hear lots of people talking about family office teams, you talk about virtual family offices, um, they really mean a variety of things. I, I think if you hear the term family office team or family office services, uh, you're talking about a smaller team often inside a major bank or brokerage firm that is attempting to provide the services that a family office provides. Um, some are more successful than others. A virtual family office is nothing more uh, than, a, than a family office that's designed to use services that are uh, brought into the service team virtually. And so core team typically is coordinating those services from outside resources. And so it looks and feels a little bit different than a, multi, than a true multifamily office um, in which most of the time the people are actually hired and working within the family office structure. And was this term virtual family office out there and popular before the pandemic? Because obviously right now during the pandemic, a lot of service providers are providing their services virtually. It is. This, this term was out there before the pandemic struck, uh, but it hasn't been out there that long. I would say three or four years uh, is probably the most recent. I heard uh, much about uh, organizations forming as a virtual family office. Uh, but it's become a little bit pop, a little bit more popular of late, and I'm sure with the pandemic, uh, even more so. Yeah. So, who in the family is typically the one in your experience that you see asking whether or not they even need to hire a multifamily office? It's different in different circumstances. A couple of examples might might help. So, in the case of the sale of a family business, let's assume a family has operated a business, they've it's become very successful, and they've decided it's time to sell. They sell the business. And they realize very quickly that operating a business is a very different process than, than managing wealth, making investments, handling estate plans, and things like that. And so it's, it's a very different set of skills. I always say it's a very different set of skills to build the wealth and to maintain it. In that case, it could be the wealth creator. It could be the, the senior generation that actually created the wealth and operated the business. In other cases, it could be that there's some sort of life transition going on. 
So the, the wealth creator, the elder generation has reached a certain age and they either don't want to or they're less capable of making some of the day-to-day -day decisions um, that are involved in significant wealth. In those kind of situations, it could be a younger generation that's looking to hire a family office to help them administer a lot of the very complex structures and the multiple investments and homes and different, all the stuff, if you will, uh, could be younger generations. So it could be, a, it could be different people in different situations. Yeah. Yeah. But usually driven by some sort of an event, either the transfer of leadership or a, a sale or something like that. It's often driven by some type of life transition. No yeah. question about it. Yeah. And I would imagine also another family that's having a good experience with a multifamily office, they would tell their friends and then some others may realize, oh, I needed that, you know, or that sounds very helpful. No question about it. I think we, in our business, uh, the majority of our new business comes by some sort of referral, either from a satisfied client or from a professional advisor, an estate planning attorney or CPA who's had experience or who's heard of a good experience. Um, so much of it is, in fact, word of mouth. Yeah. So I know every family is different, but if you could think about in your experience, what are some broad characteristics that you think would describe a family who would benefit from a multifamily office? And so needless to say, this is a question I think about a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are a couple of characteristics that are that are pretty common. One characteristic is that the family has what I would refer to as multi-generational wealth. And you know, without without getting into a whole lot of definitions, it's simply there's enough wealth in the family that over time it will affect more than one generation of family members. Okay, that's good, yeah. So parents have enough wealth to impact their kids and their grandkids. That's multi-generational wealth. In a case where, where, where the family has multi-generational wealth, um, a lot of the financial and operational affairs the family will encounter are more complex. It's typical that for tax and state planning purposes, they will use a lot of trusts. There may still be some operating business entities. There may be things like family partnerships, where they co-invest or on real estate. And so just the complexity of operating, managing, and keeping up with all that stuff becomes a fairly significant task. And, and it's, it's families like that who typically want to employ the services of a multifamily office. The other piece that I would add to that is that in addition to being multi-generational and having higher complexity, most of them want to make it simpler. And they want to make sure the family is prepared for what's hitting them at some point in their lives. If you have a 30-year-old child who has who's never had any experience operating a business, never managed investments, whatever it is, usually the family that comes to us also wants help preparing that next generation or having somebody to walk side by side with those family members as a guide so that they can successfully maneuver through that journey. Yeah. So are there any characteristics though of a family who would maybe not need you know, the full services of a multifamily office? Uh, there are situations where a uh, family likes, wants or likes to do a lot of the things themselves. Okay. It's a family that, that perhaps only needs investment services. They don't need a lot of the other services that a multifamily office would provide. And some families are simply do-it-yourselfers. They like to do these things themselves. Uh, they, already have, they already have an existing network of professionals that works well for them. So in, in a lot of those situations, the need may or may not be there. Yeah. Yeah. And they might have, you know, the next generation, two or three, they may be very engaged in the whole process too. And and they don't feel there's that deficit of information or experience. And so maybe they wouldn't, they wouldn't need the services. So every family has a different set of needs. And I think one of the important parts of the process is going through that assessment and really asking yourself as a family what you what you need and what you want as a part of making the decision about what kind of firm you hire. All right, let's go a little bit deeper here, Richard. What are some ways that you can differentiate between one multifamily office from another? No, I think, in fact, that most of them are very, very different. 
there are a whole variety of family office models for operating. In some instances, if the family is involved in an operating business, they'll just hire a handful of employees or allow a handful of employees to help serve their financial needs from inside the organization. I would call that embedded family office. It's embedded in the business and operates uh, inside. There are other types of family offices that are built largely to handle investment decision-making. If the family wants to make a lot of private equity investments, they want to make direct investments in operating companies, then it might only be investments they're after. Similarly, families, families create family offices to, uh, to meet their philanthropic needs. Somebody in the family has been very successful and, and most of the business that they have or want to focus on is about giving the money away. And then finally, there's what I would call a comprehensive model. And a comprehensive model is just as the name suggests. It typically provides a range of services from investments and estate planning to tax to bill payments and bookkeeping and financial statement preparation, insurance review. It's really anything that falls under the umbrella of a family's finances. Yeah. So of those models that you just described, which one do you think best describes Tolleson? Tolleson is clearly a comprehensive multifamily office. Um, as a firm, we made the decision a long time ago that uh, we wanted to try to build a firm that had a lot of these comprehensive resources in-house so that we as a firm could control the quality of the processes and systems that supported those people. And so our, our comprehensive model, I think, is very, very distinctive because it allows us to bring people into the room, experts, deep technical experts into the room and collaborate deeply on issues that are uh, important to our clients. So if we're making an investment decision, it's not unusual that we'd want to make sure somebody looks at their tax returns or somebody understands the entity which is making the investment because those things impact the way you invest and the outcomes. Most firms that don't have the breadth of resources that you can have everybody in the room when you're doing that collaborative design work. And I think it's a, I think it's a huge advantage. The other big distinction I think is the, is the execution process. It's not all that uncommon to find a family that's gone through and spent thousands of dollars and spent hours and hours working on an estate plan. They get the documents signed and then they end up sitting on a shelf or in a drawer somewhere, or more likely now in in a portal somewhere. At the, at the same time, if that plan is never executed and, and nobody is revisiting it, pulling it out a couple of times over the years, looking at it, making sure that it operates the way it's supposed to be, um, you really lose something there. So it's in, the, in that execution, what I call the care and feeding of the plan. The care and feeding of the plan is what ultimately determines how successful it is. Having systems and people and structures designed to do all those things um, is really one of the more distinctive features of Tolleson. And you have a story of the estate planning that did something very similar to what you just described, right? There was a family that gotten something signed, but then nobody really executed on it. Do you want to tell a little bit of that story? Yes, there are lots of those kind of stories, uh, unfortunately. The particular story that I'm thinking about is one in which the family executed a series of planned, of estate planning changes using a variety of different attorneys. And so over the course of five or six years, there were three or four changes made to the plan. A lot of things changed in the family circumstances, but the attorneys doing the, doing the work apparently didn't have the complete information about the rest of the plan. So the end result was, as, as we picked it up and looked at the plan, this was a blended family. Dad was on his second marriage. He had kids by his first marriage. But the way the plan was written, the vacation home that, that dad wanted his spouse to use after his death was actually owned by his daughters after his death. And so most times something like that is a situation that could create friction in the family 
where the daughter is in the vacation home and are let, allowing um, dad's second wife access. It doesn't usually work well. We change that rather quickly. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And it, and it really, that does illustrate this, uh, why it is beneficial to have this, all the different teams talking to each other. I, it may be a crude analogy, but I, I think about if you ever get work done on your house, there's a reason that you hire a general contractor and you're not the one out there calling the tile person and the floor person and the painters and the plumber and the electrician. I mean, you could do all of that and take on that work yourself, but that's complex and it's hard to get all of those different people together on the same page, which is why you hire a general contractor because they have all the relationships and they manage that process. And it sounds like hiring a multifamily office in some ways is very similar to hiring a general contractor. You could go out and get all of these services on your own, but it's complex and it can be difficult. And so there's a benefit to hiring a multifamily office. It's a perfect analogy. Uh, it's, it's exactly what happens. And if the family chooses to be the general contractor, as you say, it's usually a much more difficult process. It doesn't mean the family can't do it because the families you work with are mostly very successful, talented people, but they don't necessarily have the skills or the experience, particularly the technical knowledge to do all those things. And as you said earlier, I mean, uh, you know, generation two may be fine running all of it, but then you might have different personalities and different skill sets in generation three or four. And so to assume that everybody's just like you maybe isn't a great assumption. And so it may be time, as you were talking about with a transition, that would be a great time to bring in a multifamily office to help. Yeah, it, it's, you're absolutely right. A lot, of, a lot of families end up creating these plans, but then parents are always hesitant to talk about things they've accumulated and, and their plans for the future when they're not there. They're, they're always nervous about doing that. Um, I think the more communication they can have, the better in a case like that. Uh, because if you say, if it really is significant wealth, uh, making sure that they're prepared, they have a little bit of time to anticipate what's coming their way. They have time to prepare themselves, get the skills they need or build a network of advisors they need. Um, it's a really important part of the process. And it's one that as a multifamily office, we spend a lot of time working on. Uh, we do a lot of formal work around helping prepare the next generation. Yeah for what's coming their way. So did Tolleson start as a comprehensive multifamily office? So in 1997, John Tolleson, our founder, had a liquidity event. He sold a business that he built. And this, the way we started was essentially as his single family office. So our firm was created to support the needs that he had individually and his family had. And over time, friends of him, friends of his approached him and said, will you do the same for me? We, we sort of morphed into it naturally. Um, as friends ask for the same types of services, and um, it just continued from there. Um, over, over the years, we've added services as clients have needed. So we didn't start off having a bank. We have one now. We didn't start off offering trust services. We have those now. And the same with things like philanthropy and family learning and family governance. Those were things that really came along as the family's needs evolved, and we understood them better. Yeah. Now, I, I love, uh, I'm very familiar with what you guys do with the family learning piece. Is that a distinctive of Tolleson, would you believe? It's increasingly something that firms are trying to do, but I think, uh, yes, and I think it is distinctive. There's a growing number of, of coaches and consultants out there that will help families with those things. We've purposely tried to integrate a lot of those services into our core business. And I think because we've done that, it's really created a distinctive look and feel for the family. And we've invested a tremendous amount of time and energy in this process. 
And it's something that our clients tell us regularly. It's really important. Yeah, that that's great. What do you see happen, Richard, if a family needs to hire a multifamily office, but they don't? I mean, are there any negative consequences a family might suffer if they choose not to hire one, even though they really do need a multifamily office? Yeah, so so I, I don't know that I call it suffering. I think there are, there are consequences. I think there are times when things aren't done the same way. An example to me is a great example to me that's relevant right now is families that are thinking about making gifts. So every time there's potentially a tax law change, uh, families that have significant wealth want to go ahead and consider making gifts to younger family members if they believe the law might change in the future and make that less attractive. So we're in, we're in such a time right now, and what happens is people end up making very quick decisions about, about gifts. And so they don't, they don't spend as much time what I, on what I would call the design process they put the structure in place, they fund it, they move it. And I go, well, where don't we need to talk about this with the kids? If you're creating a $5 million trust for one of your kids, it's really important that they know why you're doing this, that you want certain things, you want them to do certain things with that money, not go out and you know live extravagantly, but you want them to use it to start a business or you want them to use it to create a safety net for their kids. Um, and so the part I think sometimes that is missing is the part that puts planning in context that uh, creates the creates the process after the fact to make sure that the intent of the gift is carried out. Um, it's those kinds of things that I see that just they don't seem to happen. And you alluded to this earlier. They don't seem to happen as often because if you have seven or eight advisors and you're the one who's responsible for getting them together to talk about those things and collect all the feedback that's needed to do an effective job. It just often doesn't happen. Life gets in the way. Yeah. Too much going. Just the scheduling logistics of doing that. I mean, I would imagine that happens maybe one time a year. You can get everybody's calendar synced up uh, with, with families that are complex and have a lot going on. You need to have regular conversations. It can't just be one time a year. Okay, Richard, as we wrap up, I'll just ask you one last question. What are some trends you're seeing in the family office industry right now? Yeah, it's really been interesting to me. Um, family offices in general and single family offices specifically, um, there seems to be, they seem to be on the rise. You see a lot of articles talking about that trend in the industry. Uh, at the same time, we see a slightly different angle on that. We've, we've really encountered a lot of families over the last year, year and a half, who are thinking about whether they want to continue operating a single family office. It's a fairly costly undertaking. There are some regulatory issues. Uh, somebody has to operate and make all the personnel decisions. And so we see some, some transition going the other way, where a second generation is inheriting a big family office structure and may not want to, to carry that on. And they've, they're thinking about whether they want to continue that process. We've seen people just because they're, they're transitioning out of their business who similarly had a single family office structure supporting them that, that don't want to continue it anymore. So it's it's really been interesting for us to see to see how things ebb and flow in the industry. Uh, and of course, it's exciting for us every day. Richard, this has been a great conversation. As always, great stuff from you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Adam. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Taliesin Insights Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on today's episode do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Taliesin Wealth Management. The information we discussed today is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation or an offer to buy a security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. As always, you should consult your professional advisors before making any tax, legal, financial planning, or investment decisions. That's all for this episode. We'll talk to you again next time.